Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, joined, as always, by my co-host, Ben. Hello, hello. And today we are going to do something different and talk about board games. You actually fooled me for a second there. I was like, <laughs> wait, what's going on? Um, but before we do that, we have to apologize to our dear friend, Rich, and to our uh, best listeners as well, because... We spoke about Twilight Imperium last week, and we had already done that. We spoke about it with Rich many episodes ago, and we forgot. Oh, wow. I thought that was just a general discussion. I didn't think it was a full-on Twilight Imperium discussion. So, apologies to everyone. But uh, we'll be better this time. So, today we're going to talk about a game called Hardback, which is a fun deck-building word game. But before that, why don't we talk about the games that we played this past week? Ben, sure. what have you played? Uh, <clears throat> let me see if anything else comes up, because I think the only I think the only games I really played this week were uh, Hardback and, as you like to call it, Rococo, Co, 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 Co. That's how I like uh, to type it, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I also played, I did play another game of Camel Up, but... I did that as well. Uh, but other than that, it was just Hardback and Rococo Deluxe uh, this week. And uh, for those out there listening, <clears throat> Rococo Deluxe, it, there's not that many Co's, but uh, Rococo is a game where you play as, I think it's in like old France. So it's there's like a ball that I think like King Louis V or something is throwing or one of the Louis because there's too many of them. And you are a tailor. Uh, and you are trying to create dresses, uh, fund decorations at this ball that the king is throwing. And throughout the course of the game, you're going to be hiring employees to have them gather materials, craft dresses, um, rent out those dresses to the various ball goers and place them in various locations on the board, which are known as halls. Um, and via those mechanics you gain points depending on how many dresses you have out there what decorations you've sponsored how much money you end up with at the end of the game though that is probably the in my i think that might be the lowest point like the worst conversion rate of money to points i've seen in any game i've played really Um, it's the same in clans it's 10 to 1 in clans yeah it is oh well then they both have the worst conversion rate the point is um, not I've to seen. make money, is what they're yeah. trying to say. Yeah, the point's to spend your money and and stuff. But uh, yeah, so um, Jonah will tell you that he cheated the whole time, but I'm going to tell you that I got the whole time. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you that I got smacked regardless, um, because even if Jonah didn't cheat, which I didn't notice anyway, so it is what it is. Uh, I was getting thrashed, so I ended up losing like eighty four to thirty eight. But as Jonah said. I cheated the whole time, time, so it doesn't really count as a loss or a win. So can you explain how the different worker types exist and how we get through those workers so also I can know how to play it by the rules next time and not cheat? (laughs) Sure. Um, There are three levels of worker in this game. So it's it's a... Would you call this deck building? I mean, kind of, but not really. You're not forced into certain... Well, I was cheating, so if you can tell me how the deck works, okay, then I can I'll tell, tell you, you how it was, actually in fact, works. Deck building. So, as I said throughout the game, you're going to be hiring employees. So, the level of employees that you can have are a apprentice, a journeyman, or a master. Uh, depending on what type of level they are, they can perform different tasks. So, only a journeyman or a master can actually tailor a dress. Whereas an apprentice can go and collect the materials needed to make the dresses. Um, Only a master can hire new employees. And only a master or journeyman can take the queen's favor token, which is gaining the first player token for the next round. Um, Any employee can sponsor uh, the decorations. But what Jonah is talking about is the way the deck works, which is... Somewhat unlike a deck builder, you are allowed to look through your entire available pool of employees and you pick three of them. Those are the three that you're going to use for the entire round. I thought you draw five and pick three. 
No, you kept asking that. You don't draw five. You you look through the entire hand and pick three. So you just siphon out three every round? Yes. yes. And then if you have two left... You need to take those two, and then you look through the rest of your cards and take the other one. I might not have cheated too badly then. Yeah, I don't... That's why I didn't even notice, because I don't think that you really were cheating that badly. I literally got destroyed in this game. I think I was looking through all of my people every turn. Which means I cheated pretty badly. Like, even after you used those people, you were taking them back into your hand and looking at them again the next round? I don't know. Well, we'll play again, because I enjoyed the game, regardless of getting destroyed or not potentially getting destroyed, whether or not you cheated. I, I thought it was fun, and I would like to play it again and try it again. But yeah, so the way, the way it works is once you use those three, you put them on the right side of your player board, and they are discarded. And then the next round... You look through the full employee deck on the left side of your player board, which are the available employees, and pick three of them again. The ones you don't pick stay on the left side to be used next round, potentially. The discards go to the right. And as Jonah and I mentioned earlier, let's say there's a round where you need to draw three employees, but you only have two on the available side. You have to take those two, and then you can look through the entirety of your employee stack and take one more, which is how I ran into trouble on the last turn because I wanted to craft a couple of dresses. Uh, and I'll tell, I'll tell you all why in, in a moment, but I was stuck with two apprentices and I needed to refresh my deck to get a master in order to create a dress. So I was stuck on my last turn, not doing very good hand management. So it was tough for me on the last turn, but the reason why I wanted a master was for the tiebreaker on the hall majority bonuses. So there are five halls on the board. And if you, at the end of the game, have the majority of dresses being worn in that hall, you gain points. In a two-player game, only the first player, or only the player with the most dresses gets points, whereas in a three-and-above game, there's first and second place bonuses. But the tiebreaker is having dresses that were created by a master because there are specific slots that only dresses created by masters can go into. And the initial tiebreaker for the count of dresses in that hall is the most filled, like whoever filled the most master slots. And unfortunately, I couldn't get many of these hall bonuses. I think Jonah got every single one of them. Yes, but I cheated, so it, it doesn't... Uh... Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Um and then at the end of the game, uh, what's neat, I thought it was kind of neat, was uh, throughout the game, as I was saying, you can sponsor decorations, and some of those include fireworks. So at the end of the game, before you count up how many victory points you're getting from the dresses that people are wearing to the ball, you can move some of your uh, dress wearers from the King's Hall out onto the King's Balcony to view the fireworks that you have sponsored. And they will multiply the amount of points you get for those specific dresses by either two or three. But obviously for the higher end bonus, it costs more money to sponsor those fireworks. Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed it. And just to preface for both of these, I was also playing Werewolf this whole time and I was very distracted while I was playing both of these games. So I want to play them again anyway. Um, but That's right. I'm going to yeah. be interested in hearing what you have to say about hardback since you weren't paying attention. I was I was three quarters paying attention, but I did like hardback as well. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the game. I want to play it again. I want to see how it is at a higher player count, though I do like how quickly it played at a low player count. I think it just kind of moved through the game, which was nice. Yeah, I thought it was good at two. I feel like it might be kind of crowded at three or four, but I guess we'll only find that out by actually trying it. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good game it was better than i expected it is a game that i would play if it's put in front of me which is a good sign uh i want to talk about it being the deluxe version for a moment yes um it is a very nicely produced game with nice art and metal coins and well the metal nice coins everything. are extra i think the pricing on this game is egregious after I've played it, I would agree with you, but I still liked it enough that I don't really mind. And I sold another game to make this one a purchase, a possible purchase, so it worked out in the end. But 
I will agree with you. I think the pricing level, I've seen games on a similar production quality level before that are half the price of this game. I think it was a bit over the top. Yeah. And not only do I think it's egregiously priced, I feel like I'm getting priced out of the hobby almost with if this is going to be the norm. Now, I am not someone who needs deluxe everything. But it's a little weird to me how much they charged for this game. And I don't feel like... So just to compare it to another game that was spruced up. So this is Rococo Deluxe, which is a reprint deluxified of an older game. I don't know if they changed anything, so I can't speak to it that much. Uh, I think the full board art completely was redone. No, I mean mechanics-wise. It's the same game, just prettier, right? I believe so, yes. So Brass was redone and re-released as Brass Birmingham. And that was very deluxified with nice components, poker chips, all of that. And that deluxified board game, I think, was like, what, 80 bucks? Uh, it, it was... I actually repurchased it lately, so I should know this. Um, I think it was... So during the Kickstarter, it was 120 Canadian dollars for both deluxe versions of the games, which came to really? I think a, yeah, which I think came to a hundred dollars or a hundred ten dollars US. Is that with and the I, chips? Uh, no, the chips. Yes, with the chips. Yeah, not the fill-out set, but with the chips. Right. Um, so yeah. Brass Birmingham, which I don't like, but I think. I see has more depth than this game was mm-hmm. really deluxified mm-hmm. and much cheaper than this. Yes. So this I game, think it's, I think it's weird how much they're charging for this, this game with the metal coins. And that was honestly, I didn't need the metal coins. This is the only way I could find this game at a price that I was okay with it. Because if you buy it direct from Eagle Griffin, which is almost the only way to get it, um, they charge like a flat, rate fee of like $9 to ship, which for the size of the game isn't very bad, but I bought it from the game steward, which is a company that resells pre-orders or kickstarters sometimes at good prices, depending on the game. Uh, and they had free shipping with the metal coins. So this one was about $10 cheaper through them. It came to $143. So it was more money than both brass deluxe editions combined for this. And crazy. I would say, and I would say, yes, I like, I'm going to preface this by saying, yes, I like the game and I am very used to at this point spending this much for various games. I'm not, for the record, I'm not trying to attack your purchase no, of it. No, I know. I know. I'm just, I'm trying to agree with you in my okay. own way as the person who's okay with games, like at this price level, usually this game kind of reminded me a little while I was playing of Tidal Blades, mm-hmm. where it was so expensive. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't necessarily say overproduced because you know it's a deluxe edition, but like the game isn't that deep. It's it's not like the most in-depth game. I feel like I while I did like it, and that's what I was trying to say, while I, di- I did like it and I want to play it more and I'm glad I own it, it's not... It's not something that like I'm going to sit here and think about and say, oh, well, this strategy might be better. This strategy, like it seems like it's Mm -hmm. just it is what it is. And for the price they're charging. I kind of wish the game maybe was like 60 bucks and didn't include all of the like resin tokens and whatnot, but had the nice board art. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, something I compare it to. Um, So. Everyone always says splatter games are crazy expensive. But, and I do agree, it is pretty expensive to pay $80 and not get like a deluxe board game. But even lower than that, like Tokyo Metro, I think is what, 40 bucks? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And I don't think any of those, those components are bad. I think it's perfectly Agreed. fine and there's a good game in there. And to just think that this costs three and a half Tokyo Metros. Like, there are some really good, well-produced games for, like, 40 or 50 bucks. Yep. And I think if you're going to get this, you really need to 
think about what else you could get for that. Yes. Which, I mean, you have to do with every purchase anyway. But it just seemed really apparent <laughs> in this game. Yes. Now, I do want to say, just to not... I wouldn't say defend myself because I know I'm not being attacked in any way. This was supposed to be a celebratory game purchase that I because I wanted this game when it was like on pre-order. And then I lost my job. And I was celebrating the fact that the same place had offered me a job back and I bought the game and then three days later they were like oh sorry we actually have to retract that job offer and then and then I ended up selling another game that covered the purchase of this so like this was also kind of like a celebratory thing and while I do purchase games like this somewhat often this one required a little more research than most of the ones just because of how light the game itself seemed um but I was trying to celebrate something I don't know don't count your yeah. chickens. Yeah, that's true. Don't don't count my chickens indeed. It is a really cool game. I think it's neat and I am a sucker for a different theme. You know, yeah. I like my game about stacking people in Catalonia. I like my game about running trains in the Tokyo subway like we just said. Yep. And I think the idea of being a tailor and making these dresses and having the most of your dresses in a hall be good. I think mm -hmm. that's all really neat and it's woven together really well wow yeah <laughs> wow uh, look at you go yeah really um so one thing just about like the way the game plays that i just want to mention that i really like and i know that i've seen this in other games before but for some reason some of the games are like they're slipping my mind that use a similar mechanic but i really i don't think so but i really liked the mechanic of like the more things have been purchased already, the cheaper that area becomes. Mm -hmm. And it makes you, it makes you think because the, the material, for example, the materials location, when you're going to take materials for the dresses, you have three drawers of materials to choose from. And the one that you want might be in a full drawer and cost you $2, but your opponent might've left you a free because it's the only one left material that, kind of works in the other drawer so like you have to balance like do you want to pay the money for the one that you want or do you want to take the free one that might work in the future i like that and i like the employee hiring where you know it starts more expensive when there are more employees and by the end one of them realizes that nobody wants to hire them and they just work for free like i thought that that was a neat a neat aspect of the game yeah i really liked that too with the caveat that I wish money were tighter. Mm -hmm. I think those are all really interesting decisions and it's a really neat idea. You know, if you want first pick of whatever you're trying to get, it's going to cost you more. But I did cheat, but I was never, you know, hungry for cash on the playthrough. So I didn't feel like the decisions were as interesting as they could have been. But mm -hmm. huge asterisk that I'm repeating as many times as possible. I cheated. But... So. I will agree because I think starting with $15 was a hefty start value. Right. Like starting with 15, you, I mean, unless you're, unless you're sponsoring decorations right off the bat, you're not struggling for money for a couple rounds. Yeah. That's something that was kind of weird to me. Um, I know I just said I was never uh, tight on money, but the decorations seem kind of exorbitantly expensive in this yes. game you know spend 23 dollars on this thing that'll get you a few points i guess if you are sponsoring decorations throughout then you will be low on cash but mm -hmm. i also knows? think that the game is the game wants to push you to consider selling a dress instead of making people wear it to the ball yeah but you and i both I only did, that, did once. that once and it it funded us for like the next three rounds of the game so that part was a little interesting. I, I'm interested to see if that comes into play a little more in a higher player count, though, because yeah. that might be like, oh, well, this hall's already kind of taken care of. Um, so let me just rent this or sell this and make a lot of money. Have you looked at the backside, the higher player count side? Uh, no, I haven't, but I... I'm wondering what the differences I, are. To be honest with you, I didn't even know that the board was two-sided until I, until I read the book for setup for two and three players. Mm. So... Um, also, there's a solo mode, which looks interesting, and I'd like to try it. But What does it play to? Does it play to five? Yeah, it's one to five. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought it was only up to four. Nope, it's one to five, and the uh, 
there's an expansion as well that comes in the deluxe edition. So I think we should mention that an expansion comes in, which I think is not in the original edition. Okay. Um, and you can like send out apprentices to like study up. And I think you can actually like build them up into master levels or have them take exams and they like learn more. I don't know. I didn't want to try something wacky right off the bat. So hmm. um, that's neat. I do yeah. like the different workers idea. I like that in a lot mm-hmm. of different games, be them worker placement or whatever you want to call Yeah, this game. I like having to figure out where you're going to send each person based on where they are able to go and what they can do in those spots. Yeah, I agree. And I like that, um, like spending money gets you better people. So like, for example, you start with two masters, but both of the masters have no bonus ability when you play them. Everyone else has a bonus ability that might trigger when you play them. But my first turn, I sent one of my in quotes, useless masters, uh, to hire another master and every time I played that master I now gained a coin so it was nice to like spend money and build up kind of on those levels so even within the apprentice journeyman master tiers there were still better employees you could get which I like mm-hmm. we do still have to figure out how those um, 1x powers work yeah so there are some of these workers in this game that have a power when you play them that can only happen once and I'm not really sure how you're supposed to track that that has happened. You know, if you have three of these, let's say, how are you supposed to know which one you have used and which ones you have not? Yeah. Yep. I want to read the rule book more thoroughly for that specific section of it because mm-hmm. we both had similar thoughts about that. So, yep. All right. And that is Rococo Deluxe. The other game yes. that we played, Jessica joined us, was Hardback. And that is our game of the week as well. So we'll hop right into it. Hardback is a, like I said before, a word building deck builder. And it is a deck builder similar to Star Realms and Ascension, where there is an offer row in the middle. So on your turn, you will draw five cards and each card has a letter on it and you try and make a word. What's great is if you are having difficulty making a word, You can use any of the cards in your hand as a wild. You just flip it over, and then you don't get what is on that card, of course, but it enables you to make a word. So if you are trying to make the word beefiness, but you are missing out on a certain letter, you can flip one of them over to make the word happen. So it's okay to not get the benefit because you are able to get the benefits of the other nine letters in that word that you might have created. Um, When you play a set of cards to make a word, each card will give you either cents, the, uh, you know, a hundred of which make a dollar, cents or points, and you are spending cents to buy new cards from the offer row in the middle. Then these cards go into your discard pile. When you run out of cards, you shuffle your discard pile and draw five again, and that's all well and dandy. The other really interesting thing in this game is the the concept of ink. So if you have four cents and you want to buy a card that costs three cents and then there are no cards that cost one cent, you might say, what do I do with this final penny? What you can do is purchase some ink. And what ink does is on your turn, when you are drawing your five cards, you can spend one ink blot to draw another card. The interesting part of this is the card that you just drew must be used in your word. So it has a really great push your luck element to it. You know, if each card can get you one point and you draw five cards on a turn, the maximum points you can get is five. But with ink, you draw more cards and you can get more points and you can also get a higher spending power to buy cards from the middle. Additionally, there are different genres since this is a word-based game, there are different genres of cards. There is the murder card, the mystery card, the adventure card, and the, well, not card, genre, and the romance genre. And on these cards, they'll have an ability, and then they'll have a line, and then another ability. And if you play two cards from the same genre in your word, you get the top and bottom ability of both or all of those cards. So there is a good incentive to try and get different 
get multiple cards of the same genre and hope they come out mm-hmm. and so you can make a word with them. But at the same time, I think each genre kind of specializes in something. I think the romance genre gets you more buying power. The adventure is that genre... the. I don't think I got any of the adventures. The one with the magnifying is mysteries, I would assume. Mystery, yeah. That uncovers a lot of the... Right, I wanted to talk uh, about that next, so why don't you go for it? Oh, yeah, sure. I was just saying what I was observing while playing, and it seemed to fit the category, which I thought was neat. Right. Um, So there's a magnifying glass, which we're guessing now is mysteries as the the genre. And as Jonah mentioned before... The genre names change every time I play it. Uh, as Jonah mentioned before, you can flip your cards over to use them as wilds and kind of make your own word. But when you have multiple of mystery books, multiple of the mystery books in your word, uh, a lot of them say uncover adjacent wild or uncover adjacent card. Uh, and that means it still acts as a wild. So your word works, but you get to flip that card over and then use its bonus as well, which is really, really good because Let's say you draw a card like an X and it has a really good bonus, but you can't fit an X in your word. You use the X as a wild, put it next to one of these mysteries. You flip it over, you get that bonus, but you can still use the X as a wild and make a word. Yeah, it's a it's a really neat mechanic that they put into this. Uh, It's important to mention that hardback is the sequel to paperback. It is a Tim Fowers game. They both are. And paperback came out first it is a different type of deck building word builder and we can talk about that later when we talk about other word games but my preferred deck building style is this one with the offer row so i really Mm -hmm. like that and i think hardback is a really neat game there is something called remover in the game i talked about ink there is also remover Remover you can't outright buy, but some cards will say take ink or remover. You can take a remover, and a remover lets you remove the ink blot from a card that you drew, so you are no longer forced to use that card in your word. So it has the good pusher luck in it, and if you have an eraser or two, a remover or two, you can use them on those cards. Yeah, I guess I... I didn't take a remover at all. I guess I wasn't a hundred percent sure what the what like the real benefit of it was. Like I didn't feel if the need to use If you use an so. ink and draw a Q or an X, yeah. you're pretty stuck. So yeah. that's really it. That's fair. I, I seem to get lucky with my ink draws a lot. Like I was able to still make most of my words even mm-hmm. with those. Like I never struggled to in this one to make a a word. And speaking of struggling, I want to mention. I really like that fantastical helpful rule yeah. where if you're struggling for a word, you you could say like pause and then put like your letters down and like have the other people at the table help you come up with a word. Yeah. The rule book says it's hiring a ghostwriter. Yeah. And what did I help? Whoever... I help you make muzzled, I think. Yeah. Something like that. And if yeah. you do this, you say, can someone help me make a word? If someone does help you make a word and they should, it's a fun little game then they get an ink blot out of it for themselves. Yep. It was fun. I like that. Yeah, so that's hardback. You play to 60 points, and you just keep going around deck building and making words. And yeah, it's. I think it's a fun little game. It is a game that I own, so of course I like it. It is also, I think, the most heads-down game that I own. I try not to own too many of them because I don't really enjoy playing games that feels very low interaction. But I think it's a good time to just sit around a table and try and make these fun word combinations together. Yeah, Scrabble is big, so. Yeah, I was going to, I mean, when we were talking about word games, like Scrabble is obviously the one that was going to come up for me because it's like the big one. Um, But I, I agree. I think it was, I think it was a bit heads down, but I don't think, I don't think it made too much of a difference in this one because it's, I mean, it's a quick, easy, you know, deck builder and the the only thing that got a little tripped up for me sometimes is like there is a turn order, but like you're make you're drawing your cards and making words so quick sometimes that like right it's you're basically like, simultaneous yeah um but 
There is the Timeless was... Classic. We didn't mention the Timeless Classics. Yes. Uh, just really quick before we go into the Timeless Classics, I want to say that, as Jonah said, you played a 60. When you first said we're playing a 60, I was like, that feels like it's going to take a while for like this type of a game. But it really builds up. I mean, it didn't build up for me. I still got close-ish, but I didn't. I never really found a word or combo that got me like a bunch of points. But like you, for example, found that U and Z <laughs> next to each other that were getting you, what, like 14 points a turn here at the end? Yeah, it was a exactly. It was a U and a Z that got me 14 points a turn. And I also had another card that let me, I think I had two more cards that let me remove cards from my discard pile. Yeah. So I thinned my deck so much that I think I only had like nine cards in it. Yep. So I was at that point, I mean, this was very much the end of the game or the late stage of the game, which caused the end of the game. I was pretty much guaranteed to draw those two. And then when I did, I would just get 14 points. And that is a lot in a game that you played a 60. Yes, it very much was. Uh, but I enjoyed it. And you were mentioning Timeless Classic. So do you want to go for that? Yeah, so the Timeless Classic is the attempt at making you interact with the other players at the table. Um, a Timeless Classic is a horizontal card. And if you use it in your word, it stays out in front of you turn to turn. And you just get that benefit passively every turn of yours, including the genre on it. So if you only have one mystery card in your word, but you have that mystery timeless classic in front of you from last time, you will still get the bonus for matching the genre. The other players might not like this, and what they do about it is they make a word using that letter and that kicks it from in front of you into your discard pile. And yeah, that's the I, timeless classic. <laughs> I, I thought it was a, a neat addition to try and get those in. And like, I like the recurring benefits bit. Mm-hmm. I do think the game is a slight bit too heads down to really pay attention to them. Uh, it's not that consequential as well, these timeless yeah. classics. You know, if they were really strong for that person, you would really be incentivized to try and take it down. But, yeah. you know, Jessica getting an extra point or two each turn, I was like, eh, okay. Yeah. I don't need to try and make a word with an F just to stop you from getting a point. And, and this is probably just me not hearing the rule part of it, but I was thinking... The first time that I tried to use Jessica's F in her Timeless Classic, I was under the impression that once you used it, it got just like discarded from the game, but it just goes right back into her hand. Discard so pile, it, but yes. Well, discard pile. So it wasn't it wasn't all that consequential to like take it away from her right. because she can just draw it again. So it didn't really do. I don't think it really did too much there. So. Mm-hmm. But I think I thought it was a neat thing to try and get you to be a little more heads up and try and give recurring benefits, like maybe as a little bit of a catch up mechanic. Right. So, the the yeah. only qualm I have with hardback is that sometimes the game can get bogged down a little bit if people spend too much time trying to make a word. So, you know, you have all of these letters with all these cool powers on them and you really want to get this letter and that letter and also those other two letters in it. And then you just think, how can I put all of these into one word without making any wilds? Yep. And that can slow it down a little bit, but it's still okay. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun one. Um, I'm trying to like think in my head how it compares to other word games that I've played, which I mean, is a great thing to talk about since we're talking about word games today. That's right. Um, I mean... I don't know. I think in general, word games for me, I don't know if we're moving into word games, but in general, word games for me are all kind of similar. Like, I don't know if one stands out a ton above the other ones, um, for me at least. So I have a list of word games. So Scrabble, you know, Scrabble, Hardback, these are all kind of similar word creation games, but... The other thing about word games is the ones where you don't have to make the word. So, for instance, I have Just One on here. Just One is a word game. It's the party game where you try and get someone to guess a word. Everyone gives a clue. Everyone's clue is one word. If any of those clues match up with the other clues, they both get crossed out. So 
I definitely agree that a lot of these word building word games are similar. Yes. So like Bananagrams as well. Bananagrams is freeform Scrabble, which is really fun. And Hardback is deck building Scrabble, which is really fun. But they do kind of all boil down to, can you think of a word with the letters you have? Yeah. I, I agree with you. not to say it's bad, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I've also seen Scrabble occasionally described as area control as well, which I think actually, I mean, kind of makes sense if you think about it, just because of the, the bonus point locations on the board. Right. And you want to, you know, move the board in a certain direction so it maybe stays away from a triple letter location or a triple word location. Um which I think is a neat spin on it. And Scrabble is the most played board game in my family, most likely because my mom, my aunt, my brother play it constantly. Hmm. Um, do I they play have here words and with there. Friends? Uh, they do. Well, they actually have the Scrabble go instead of words with friends, but oh. they do play with each other. So I'm about a decade behind in the word game app game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's basically the same thing except it's actual Scrabble and not like because i know words with friends added like different locations for certain bonuses and things like it wasn't exactly oh, really? the same yeah um but i i don't play scrabble that often um i don't play a ton of word building games that often but i did i did try a few times i tried upwards which is mm-hmm. like the one where you can build on top of other letters which i thought was pretty neat how does that um, work so it's i mean it's basically scrabble but you can also put a letter on top of another letter so you can change words. You can build vertical words. Um, Yeah. It it changes that up quite a bit. I mean, it's a whole different layer literally to the game. Um, But I classic. Yeah. No, go for it. That is actually very different from all these other ones, I think. And also a personal favorite. I had this as a kid. It is the, let's see if you can guess it. I'm sure you can. It is the loudest word game there is. Boggle? That's right. Boggle. (laughs) So Boggle is very different because (laughs) you shake this noisy plastic carton of letters and get them to fall down. I haven't seen or played Boggle in forever. Oh, it's great. And then you have to trace orthogonally words out of this grid. So it's... Can you play it more than two player? I haven't played it in so long. I think so. Anyway, it's just who can find the most words. Yeah. But I think Boggle's really fun. And it makes a really interesting um, area, not area control, but interesting physicality to it. You know, trying to weave through this space and find where the words are, if there are words. Yeah, well, let's see. Okay, I'm on Boggle's page right now. Uh, Boggle plays one to eight, Jonah. One to eight. How do you fit yeah. eight people around a little a Boggle? Is there a term for the the game, or is it the whole thing just a Boggle? Um, let's see. They just call it a cube grid. A cube grid. Yeah. Wow. They Ooh, need someone more creative a n- there. A number of variants have been produced by Parker Brothers over time, including Big Boggle. Which is a five by five grid. I wonder how that one works. Uh, it's the same thing, but it's a bigger boggle. Oh they should God. make giant boggle like the giant Azul. Oh man, I just a really quick aside. Speaking of giant games, I love. I've never actually gotten to play one, but I love those giant games they bring to the conventions, like at PAX. And they have those gigantic versions of games at PAX. It's they so had cool. a huge Tokyo Highway, right? I saw that. And they were balanced. That seemed easier to me than the smaller version, though. Right. Maybe they but... just can't ship that to your house. So <laughs> Yeah, but there, there is a giant Azul. Uh, but word games. Are we counting? I mean, we've Good already games? discussed, obviously. Yeah, like games like that. Like I've already, obviously, word building we've discussed. Yeah, um, I have code names and Decrypto okay. and Taboo on here, Balderdash. Telestrations. I was going to say that one too. That's I half played, and half. Yeah. I played Telestrations After Dark with uh, Ashley and her sister and her sister's boyfriend the other day, and it was a whole bunch of fun. So, why don't you tell us all what Telestrations is? So, Telestrations in general, I'm 
after dark is just dirty words, but telestrations in general, you have these little dry erase notebooks and you pick a card which has a ton of options on it. They're double sided. And you pick a word, you write it in as the secret word that only you know from the start. And then you flip to the next page and you draw a representation of that secret word. Then you pass your little notebook to the next player. They look at what you just drew, guess what they think it is. So they're trying to guess your secret word. Then they pass it to the next person. So everybody's passing in a circle. And then that next person draws based on the word that that person guessed. So it's like telephone and Pictionary combined. Um, the Like the game telephone where you whisper in somebody's ear. Um, so it's like telephone and Pictionary combined. And by the time you get back to the other person, you have some absolutely hilarious guesses. Uh, you don't really play for points. I mean, they have variants to play for points if you want to see like who guessed your secret word or things like that. But for the most part, this is a game in my head that you play at a party with friends when people are a little buzzed or drunk and they're just drawing stupid things and guessing stupid things and seeing how it goes. And Telestrations After after Dark came to be. Yeah, probably. So Telestrations After Dark is just like dirty words combined with normal ones, but mostly dirty words. Um, So is the starting word set or do you set the starting word? You set the starting word via one of these cards. So you draw a card. I didn't know that. Yeah. So they're double sided cards. And for example, like one side of the card might have seven words and the other side has seven words. And you pick one of those words, write it in as the secret word, and then you go from there. So you're picking that word. Hmm. Um, I don't really know if I consider it so much of a game since you're not getting points or anything as much as I consider it just like a fun party Activity. activity, but I would, I guess it's a word game. And honestly, I thought it was so much fun the first time I played it. And even the last time I played it was really, really good. Um, I think it's definitely better with more people than four. I mean, the more, the better, just because you get more interpretations shown up and you can very easily not buy this board game and just come up with words and pass a notebook around. You don't need the game as long as you're okay. Not using a dry erase board. Um, so if you're trying to play this, you can 100% make this your own at on your own at home. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I'll have to give it a go someday. Yeah. As far as the other word games, I just want to touch on a big negative to word games. And that is they could not be further from language independence. So a lot of the board games we play are really great because the only thing you see on the board and on the cards, it's great for language independence purposes, are just numbers. So you can sell the same board game all over the world and you just have to redo the rule book. All of these games you'd have to you know totally redo. And I'm sure some of these games aren't even possible in some languages. And if someone at the table is not in English as a first language, a native speaker, uh, it might be tough for them. So the problem with word games, I think, is just that it isn't that welcoming to people who don't speak the language natively. But that can always be fixed by playing something else. <laughs> yeah, I would I would agree with you there. And I would also say for word building games, you also need at least like a, I mean, you need a decent grip on vocabulary. Like, right. You, you, you need you to know the word really, beefiness. Yeah, like going into Scrabble, but not having a large vocabulary, you're just kind of like throwing words on the board and hoping it sticks. Uh, I don't know. I'm actually glad. <laughs> I'm glad that I mentioned this because I reminded myself of something that I wanted what, to bring up. Beefiness? No, uh, the language independence. Oh, okay. And Scrabble. There is... I have to re-look up this story, but... Someone, a French man, very famously won Scrabble tournaments without knowing how to speak English. He just memorized the English dictionary, or the Scrabble dictionary, I should say, because those are a little different. And he just memorized that and played. That's actually insane. he won. That's very impressive. Yeah. I feel like I couldn't even memorize 
two pages of a dictionary. <laughs> um, oh, I apologize. He was um, not French. This person won French Scrabble, but does not speak French. So ah. I had it the other way around. That's still impressive. Right. Super impressive. Um, I was going to mention, I know we've talked briefly about like games like Codenames and Decrypto in the past. Um, games like that I find to be pretty good because you don't necessarily, while yes, I think the language independence thing is, is big, uh, depending on, you know, if you're playing with family or something like that, I think games like that, you can kind of make it work. I think like, I think some of these games you can make work. Um, but other ones, like if it's just a bunch of random people, it's not really the easiest uh, on the language independence part. Um, but I've, I don't know. I think I've come to realize like word games in general are probably like very low on my, on my ranking of like game mechanics. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not the biggest fan of word based games, I guess. Right. It's not the interesting decision space we like to occupy with the other games we play. Yes. It's just, can you make a good word? Do it. But I think that they definitely have their place because, I mean, obviously Scrabble is one of the best selling games of all time. And, you know, they've re reused word building games for generations. So, I mean, it's definitely got its own space. It's just not the space for me, I don't think. But it doesn't mean I won't sit down and play Scrabble with my family when they want to. I would just rather play like backgammon or Yahtzee or something. So or checkers 2000. Yeah. I mean, well, checkers 2000 against my family is boring because it's too easy. Wow. We'll have to play it sometime. Yeah, for sure. I'm down. You should bring it over for our big gaming day. Oh God. I would if it wasn't in Florida. (laughs) The, 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 The problem, the problem with multi location collections spanning spanning the east coast are you gonna buy another rococo deluxe for florida no though i have there are certain games that are good enough that i'm on the lookout for a cheap second copy to have like like for example like i would like to buy a retail copy cheap of gugong to have in florida because i'm not gonna bring my giant box i did buy two copies of trick shot uh, to have one in Florida and one up here because I know my family is going to like that game and I know Jared likes that game, so we're good there. Uh, but most of the games I buy, I probably can't do a double double copy thing. But. Right. This was not a question from a place of judgment because I actually own Nothing is a place of judgment, three, I'm just saying. I own three games that I have two copies of and I only have one location to keep them all. Can you guess those three games? Three games that you have one... Wait. Three games that you have more than one copy of? Yeah, two copies of each of them. Uh, I'm going to guess Hanabi. Yes. Though, you managed to find another square card Hanabi, or you have multiple and one of them happens to be square, so you always use that copy. We have two Korean Hanabis. (laughs) We bought it five times over there. So the first one we bought, we bought because we wanted to play it and we had a lot of fun. And then Jessica's school was looking for games for the kids. So we said, you should buy Hanabi. So they gave us the money to buy Hanabi and we gave her school the old copy. And then after that, we played Hanabi with some friends of ours and then they were leaving for a trip the next day and they really enjoyed it. And I said, well, here, why don't you take our copy for the next week or so? And then they did and gave us some money. So we went and bought another copy of Hanabi. And then when we left Korea, Jessica and I were traveling separately. And we both wanted to have Hanabi on us for our travels. So we bought another copy. Maybe that's that's four copies. It's a chain of Hanabi. Anyway, we own two copies of Hanabi. Okay, let's see. And you said there are three games that you own two copies of. Hanabi Hanabi? also, side note, is without a doubt the game that I am responsible for the most purchases of. I have introduced so many people to Hanabi who have also then introduced so many people to Hanabi. I am without a doubt, well, Jessica and I are without a doubt responsible for like 20 purchases of that game. 
probably. I want the square version, but I can't find it, so I have to try and find it. Because um, I have just the regular ones, but like the way that you play Hanabi, where you flip your cards, it doesn't really work when they're rectangular. Right. That's why I rebel so. against the rectangle cards. Um, All right, two I more guesses, I then we'll wrap it up, I then. I feel like they have to be small games. Uh, so let's see. Hanabi. Uh, if I told you that you touched that one of them today... Azul. That's right. And. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You know this. It's one of your favorites. One of my favorites. Um... Nope. I don't know. Teach you. Wow, what a tr- what a trick question! <laughs> that was such a trick hint. This is the worst game I've ever played. That's right. That's why I thought you'd guess it. Oh God, I don't know why I didn't guess it. It's literally just a deck of crap cards that you play a crap game with. That's right. And I have two of them. <laughs> two craps. Beautiful. The the most beautiful craps that you could imagine. What a way to end this crappy episode, then. <laughs> well, eventually we'll have a. Well, not eventually. In a couple weeks, we'll have a nice, substantial, meaty episode to have. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I know English. Have described it any better myself. Is this why you I... don't like these word games, Ben? Yeah, because I don't have the vocabulary to play them. Jessica has a great vocabulary. Taking the GRE multiple times will really do that for you. You know who has a really bad vocabulary that's not going to listen to this episode, but is the best person in my family at Scrabble? That would be my brother. He's the best, but with a bad vocabulary. It's actually scary. I think he reads at a third grade level, but he's the best person at Scrabble in my family. That's all it takes. He's he's almost gonna he's almost thirty. Just (laughs) so that's right. Key key part of this. Yeah, he's not grade reading. He's not, and he's a first grader. Yeah, that would be impressive, but no, the opposite. But uh, no, he's really good at Scrabble and apparently every other game we play together. So, but yeah, I think that's a good uh, a good place to stop this episode. And thank you as always for listening, and thank you to Louisa for the great music throughout. We will see, well, not see, but we'll talk to all of you next week. <laughs> Hopefully, you respond. <laughs>